0: You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We'll be in Mark chapter 5 together this morning. In the text before us, Mark records the story of the demoniac from Gadara. Since you have never been to Gadara, I imagine... And you may not know what a demoniac is. Its relevancy to your life may not be immediately apparent. But I can assure you, it is. There is so much in this story that God has for us. So many lessons that we can learn. This week as I was studying, I was just amazed that time and time again, you look deeper into a verse and you see the truth behind it. It's incredible. It's amazing. And so, uh, my prayer is that, We will all come to this text expecting to be taught something by the Spirit of God. Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching in parables to a massive group of Jewish people that have gathered together by the Sea of Galilee. And they're there because they wonder if this might be the Jewish Savior that was promised. They're there because they've, they've seen miracles, they've seen Jesus release people from the possession of demons. They've seen Jesus heal the blind and the sick and the lame. They've seen incredible things happen. And so they wonder, is this him? And they come to learn and to, to watch and to study. And, and it's almost strange, the way that Mark chapter 4 ends, that Jesus says it's time to leave. And he's already in the boat, and so he stays in the boat, and he says, hey guys, we're heading over to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go to Gadara, right? We're going to go to the Gentile country. And so disciples think, you know what, I don't know what this is about. Maybe Jesus is thinking we need some R&R. You know, maybe maybe we're just going to take a little break and then head back. Who knows what's going through their minds. But on the journey, something incredible happens. There's a a storm that rages out of nowhere. And Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the ship. And the disciples are fearing for their lives. And so they wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Lord, don't you know what's going on in my life? Don't you care about my circumstance? And he wakes up and he rebukes the winds and he rebukes the waves. And then he asks them, why did you fear? And the answer to us is immediately obvious, isn't it? Like, obviously we feared because we were going to die. The ship was about to sink in the middle of the lake. And yet he asks him the question, and he follows it up by, where was your faith? So it's not that the circumstance was easy or okay or good, but didn't you understand that I was with you in the circumstance? And so you didn't need to fear because you could have had faith In my character, as I was with you. It's a wonderful lesson for them to learn. And I think it's helpful for us to picture the disciples going through this. Their fear of the storm was now transferred to fear and reverence for Christ because they saw that as powerful as the storm was, Christ was so much more powerful. And so they've gone through this near death experience and they finally get to the shore. And I don't know what they're thinking at this point. You know, why are we here? Why in this place? Where they landed was probably six kilometers from the next town of Gadara. And so they were kind of landing in nowhere. So let's read the Gospel of Mark, beginning at Jerusalem, verse number, chapter 5, verse number 1. They came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately... There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Once again, this is a text where good imagination will help us. Can you imagine what they've been through? And then landing on the shore and getting off who knows where, and immediately as they get there, and they're tired from the day of teaching and they're tired from this near death experience in the storm, immediately they're greeted quite literally. From the greeting party from hell. This man who is possessed by a demon is there to greet them as they step off the boat and onto the shore. The man here is described that he has an unclean spirit. Just as Jesus had a plan for the storm, he has a reason for bringing the disciples to this shore to meet this man. As much as it seems like to the disciples, we got off. What's this guy doing here? He's possessed. This is terrifying. This is not a chance encounter. Jesus has a plan for this too. And so what follows the next few verses is, is almost a description from a horror movie. Can you picture this man as I read these verses? Verse number three. He had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him. No, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Isn't that a terrifying idea? Like, a terrifying thought? That they're greeted by this man, and this is the description of him. He lives among the tombs, among the dead. He spends his day and his night crying in loud voices and cutting himself with sharp rocks. So he's bleeding, he's he's screaming, he's obviously not in control and of a sound mind. They've, on multiple occasions, tried to bind him, to, to at least restrain him in some way or another. But every time they do, he breaks the chains. He, he breaks off the iron from his feet. He's somehow incredibly strong that he cannot be bound. He cannot be subdued by any man. In other words, they've left him to the mountains. The people of the village, the people of the city have said, you know what, we can't help this guy in any way. We can't even put him in chains. Let's just leave him out there. And Luke adds an extra special detail. He was naked. And so this this is a terrifying thought, that this is the guy that greets you as you step onto Gentile territory. And yet, the reality is, this is not a character from a horror film. He's not some kind of made-up, fictional character that's designed to scare us. This man is a human being. He bears... The image of God. It's marred, for sure. But he bears the image of God. He possesses a human soul, an eternal soul. And he has lost everything. He's been marginalized by society. He's cut off from his family and his friends, everybody he knows. He is utterly hopeless. Helpless. Can't change his own behavior. Nobody else can help. Everything that they could possibly do has already been tried. Everything has failed. And I wonder today if we can, even in the smallest way, identify with this man. We can say, sometimes I feel a little marginalized. Sometimes I feel like I can't control myself. Like there is no fix for me. That there is no hope. That I've tried everything and it's come up short. When we get to the place where we know that we can't fix Our own problems, that is the place where God can. And as much as we like to lift ourselves up and say, I'm gonna fix this, I'm gonna do this on my own, I'm gonna, that's not the person that God works in. That is just us repeating a lie to ourselves over and over again that we have things under control. And what our life to this point should have already taught us. We have nothing under control. We can't control this life. And yet, here he meets the only one who can. And so the question is, when he sees Jesus, what will he do? What will he say? And the answer, I think, is surprising. Verse number six. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For you said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Isn't that fascinating that the demon-possessed man, or maybe it's the demons that possess the man, are somehow aware of the presence of Jesus. And even when he's far away, they know to come and to run to him. I've thought so much this week, why? Why did they run to him? What was that about? Was that maybe God commanding them that they must go to Christ because he's going to do something here? Was that, that God being control of the demons? Or maybe that was this man seeing one final hope in Jesus. I don't know. But they come running to him. The word where it says that they worshipped him just simply means that they fell down prostrate before him. And so I don't think that they were offering Jesus here the worship that he deserves. I think they were just coming and falling before him and begging him not to torment them. And and they even say, "We, we ask that you would swear to God that you wouldn't torture us, that you won't torment us. It almost seems like what they say contradicts their actions, right? They run to Jesus, they fall before him, but the first thing they say is, we want Jesus, what do do we have to do with you? We want nothing to do with you. Leave us alone. Why did you come? And then say, leave us alone. Torment me not. Don't change the state I'm in. And that does seem somewhat contradictory, but if you've been working with people for any Length of time, you know that often they come to the place where they could get help. But then when it requires anything of them to change, they're gone. You know of people who have heard the gospel time and time again, they've heard that Christ is the answer to their problems, and yet there's still that fear Lord, I don't know if I want you to change me. I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want you. Because it will require something of me. At the same moment that they come to Jesus, they fear what might be lost if Jesus has his way in their lives. Verse number nine. And he asked him, what is thy name? This is Jesus asking the the demon-possessed man, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion is the largest group of soldiers in the Roman army. It's usually between 4,000 and 6,000 men. We don't know how many demons were here. But the idea is that there are multiple demons possessing this man. And so he calls himself legion. Verse 10. And he besought him much that he would not send them out of the country. This is the demon's beseeching Christ, asking Jesus, Jesus, don't send us away. Luke says, don't send us into the abyss. Verse 11, he says, Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, there were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. There are a few things that are interesting to notice about demons in this story. First is, they have a collective name, a group of demons called themselves Legion. The second thing is that somehow they know exactly who Jesus is. If you remember back in the story at the end of the book of uh, at the end of chapter 4 the disciples witness this unbelievable miracle of Jesus calming the storm that he is the lord of nature and so their question is who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him and here the, the question is answered Jesus thou son of the most high god The demons know exactly who Jesus is. And yet we see even here that there is an eternity of difference between knowing the right answer to the Sunday school question and having a true faith in Jesus Christ. And there are countless people sitting in churches today that know who Jesus is. They know he is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. But they're lacking the most essential thing. They're lacking true faith in Christ that saves them. James, the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, says, of demons, he says, They believe that there is one God, and you're right, because the devils believe and tremble. Right? You believe that there is one God. You might even believe that Jesus is, is God. But the devils know the same thing. They have the same information and they tremble at it. That doesn't mean they have saving faith. And so if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step to put your faith in Jesus, to trust him to save you, to get on your knees and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need you. I have no hope in and of myself. Lord, save me from my sin." Help me to live a life that pleases you. Take me to heaven one day when I got die. If we would get personally before God and say that, that is the faith that saves us. And faith that saves us also changes us. And so James says, if we have that kind of faith, then it won't be all by itself. But we will see the evidence of that faith. There is no evidence of saving faith in the life of these demons. Right? But there's no evidence of saving faith in the life of so many people that call themselves Christians. Maybe it's because they know who Jesus is, but they've never really trusted him. The demons know exactly who Jesus is, and even more astonishing, the demons bow to his authority. They fall before him, they beg Jesus to leave them alone. They plead with him to let them go into the pigs. That's the way you speak to someone when you know that they have complete authority over you. You beg, you plead, you fall before them. Make no mistake, there is only one king. Even the demons bow to his will. His power is unparalleled and his authority unrivaled. When Jesus stands before demons, this is not a fair fight. Right? This is this is Jesus speaks a word and they bow to his authority. They bow to his will. The demons beg to enter into a herd of pigs and Jesus allows it. That's a strange part of the story, to be quite honest with you. There's a herd of 2000 pigs, the demons say, "Let us go into them." Jesus says, so be it. Go into them. So the, pigs, the, the demons leave the man. They enter the pigs. The pigs run straight toward a cliff, down the cliff, into the sea, and drown. This is what Jesus does. He brings healing and freedom to this man. And this is what Satan does. He kills, he steals, and he destroys. Verse number 14. And they that that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they, people in the city, went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and that had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And they that saw him told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. So the pig herders run quickly into the city to spread the word of what's happened. The people come to Jesus, you know, they're curious to to know what's going on, what's happened. Certainly they've seen. This man, many times, they know all about the crazy guy in the mountains who breaks the chains and shouts day and night and cuts himself. And so they soon realize that Jesus is responsible for two astounding events. The first one is that this man who was once possessed by a legion of demons is free. He's completely free. He is sitting there clothed, healed, in his right mind, It would be to them like a monster was now sitting and having tea with his finger in the air. From completely untamable, completely wild, to somebody who is in their perfect, sober, right mind. That's one thing that Jesus did. The second event is that there are pigs that once roamed the hills and they are now sinking to the bottom of the sea. And they see that Jesus is responsible for these two things. Freedom of the one man and the massive economical cost to the farmer and to the community as a whole. And so what will they do? Will they rejoice with the free man who has found Jesus even at a cost? Or will they weep over the lost pigs? Verse 17 tells us, And they began to pray him to depart Out of their coasts. They want Jesus gone. They ask him to leave. They force him back in the ship. Ask him to leave their land. The fear of potential loss. Was greater than the hope of freedom. That Jesus brings. They feared what else might happen. What else might change. What else might be lost. If Jesus stayed with them for a while. And they said Jesus. Jesus. There is no place for you here. It might cost us too much. Now what happens to the man? Verse 18. And when he, Jesus, was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and has had compassion on thee. And he departed, and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and, the, and all the men did marvel. This man has virtuous att- intentions. He has a desire to be with Jesus, to be a disciple, to go with him wherever he went, even if it meant back to Israel, to, to where the Jews lived, away from his family in his homeland. Surprisingly, Jesus says, no. No, that's not my plan for you. Good intentions, good idea, I mean, good thought, but that's not what I want for you. Jesus has a plan for this man that he is completely unaware of. He is commanded to go back and to tell his friends and his family what Jesus had done for them. He has to go back to his city. The city that just rejected Jesus for fear of what it might cost them. And now he's to tell them, these people, about two things. Jesus granted me freedom. I was enslaved. I had no hope. I was helpless. I was lost. And Jesus saved me from that. And Jesus made a specific point to tell the people of the compassion that Jesus had on him. In other words, I want them to know the great things that I've done for you. And I want them to know how much I love you. I love that Jesus includes that. That that's part of the gospel message. Hey, we tell people, listen, Jesus can save. He is He's the power to save. He is the authority to save. He's the only one that can save. But he loves you. And that's why he wants to save you. That's why he saved me. I didn't deserve his love. I was was as bad as this guy. And yet he loved me. And he saved me. And that's the message he's to bring back to his family and to his friends, to his city. And this man goes above and beyond. He goes to the regions of Decapolis, ten cities that are in close proximity. And he tells everyone, everyone he can find, about what Jesus has done for him. Would it be that we were so excited about what Jesus has done for us. Can you imagine what it would be like if we just had a spark of the passion that this man has to tell everyone about what Christ has done for him? And so before we close our Bibles on the story today, I want to draw our attention one last time to three people in the story. I hope that as we look at these people, we'll find ourselves and our desperate need And then we'll look to the Savior who can provide the freedom we need. So, let's consider the crowd. The crowd came to Jesus out of curiosity. They came and they were witness to the after effects of this incredible miracle. They had direct access to the truth. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. They had direct access to Jesus, to the truth. And... They had the proof that validated Jesus' claims. I mean, this is an awesome position to be in. You have the Savior there in your land, having just performed a miracle on this man that he can also do on you. I mean, you have the proof and you have the guy. You have everything you need. The people of Gadara received two reports about Jesus. He was out to destroy their property and to kill their pigs. He was also out to free them of their enslavement. He could provide the freedom they needed when nothing else would help. Instead, they were convinced that the value of the pigs was greater than the value of the human soul that was freed. They cared more for pigs than a fellow person. And ultimately, they feared Jesus more than they feared the man being possessed by demons. That's a really interesting thing that's mentioned at the end of the story that Rather than fearing this man now, they could deal with that fear. They knew that fear. They knew what what that man would do. He'd been possessed for a long time. And yes, he was causing destruction and chaos. And yes, he was in a really bad state himself, but they knew that evil. But they didn't know what Jesus would do. What if he changed something in their lives? What if it was something that they didn't want to be changed? I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what brought you here. I mean, this was a very chance encounter. Maybe you just got up this morning and decided to come to church. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you come here all the time. I I, I don't know. But I, I do know that Jesus is still in the business of creating encounters with people, where he's introduced to people. And we have this story that bears testimony to his power to save and to free people of their sin. And so we have to sit back and say, Lord, do I want the evil that I know? Do I want to live in the bondage that I'm accustomed to? Or do I want to open myself up, though it might cost me, to the freedom that Christ will give? Right? Jesus was—he didn't pull punches when he talked about what it meant to be a follower of him. He said, it will cost you something. You need to pick up your cross and follow him. He said to count the cost. It would be foolish for you to come to Christ and think that, that he's not going to change you. He is. That's his plan for you. And it's a wonderful plan. It's an awesome plan. You are safe putting your life in his hands, just like this demoniac was safe putting his life in Jesus' hands. But maybe you fear the cost. I would, if I was you, I would look this morning at this story And see the freedom that this man experienced. And contrast that with the paranoia that the city folks lived in. What do you want the end of your story to be like? Do you want the freedom that Christ offers, even though it costs something? Or do you want what you know? Do you want the evil that's there? Secondly, consider the man. He is lonely. He is lost. He is isolated. He is self-mutilating. He is in about as bad a state as a human being can find themselves in. At the bottom of the barrel. And you may be here today encouraged to find out that there is a man who is worse off than you. Or was worse off than you. The Bible makes it clear that this man was possessed by a legion of demons. But it also makes it clear that without Christ in us, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we look at this man and maybe you don't immediately identify with him because you think I'm not possessed with a legion of demons and I hope not. (laughs) Um, And you're not, right? But you realize that your spiritual state outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, is that you are dead in your sins and an enemy of God. Your state doesn't look a whole lot different than this man's when when you roll back the crazy things he was doing, right? That without Christ, we have no relationship with God. We are cut off from the most important relationship that we can ever have and we are headed for eternity without him. That's a serious place to be in. And so this man is kind of the the epitome of what it is to be lost and hopeless and helpless. But don't think for a second that without Christ, you are not lost and hopeless and helpless. And can I tell you something? Just like nothing else could fix this man's problems, nothing else can fix ours either. There's no potion to take. There's no steps to follow. There's no book to read that's going to make you different than who you are. The only thing that can free any person is Jesus Christ. And he is the one that provides freedom and healing to this man. We get ourselves trapped in a whole lot of sin. And what's, what's fascinating is that we so often think when we do whatever we want, we are really free. Right? And so people do whatever they want and they watch stupid things on the internet. And they do whatever they want, and they put substances in their body. And they do whatever they want, and they treat their family and their friends terribly. They do whatever they want, and they act selfishly all the time. They do whatever they want, and they gossip. They do whatever they want, and they do the dumbest, terrible things that bring destruction in their lives and, and destruction in their uh, their relationships that separate them from God. Can I tell you something? When you do whatever you want you don't experience freedom. That's not freedom. That's just bondage to your flesh. If you want to know what freedom looks like, freedom looks like doing what you were designed to do. And you were designed for the glory of God. And so freedom is when we walk in relationship with him and this man was finally free, not just because he wasn't cutting himself anymore. He was free because he was following and serving the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what he was made to do. And that's what you were made to do as well. And so consider the man. Now for those of us who are free from that sin. Free from that bondage. Wouldn't it be great if our response to our freedom was the same as his? That we were so grateful, so overwhelmed with what Christ had done in our lives that we started just telling people about it. Jesus said, go home and tell your friends and your family, right? Start there. What a great way to start. If you've been made free from the bondage you were in, go tell somebody. In fact, start with the people you're close to. Start with the people you have a relationship with. The people that love you and that you love. Tell them about what Christ has done for you. When is the last time you did that? I think that sometimes what happens is, it can go two ways, but sometimes what happens is we we told somebody once about the gospel that we care about, and we just assume that they know everything we believe, and that they've decided they never want to talk to us about it again. Now, you might have a family member that you've tried to tell on multiple occasions, and they've said, don't ever talk to me about this again. And in that case, it might not be wise for you to keep bringing it up. Okay? But in the case where you've, you've told somebody about the gospel and, and they maybe didn't listen or, or didn't like it the first time, that doesn't mean you never bring it up again. This is who you are. You are a follower of Christ. He has changed your life. He is your greatest love and greatest passion. There should be nothing else that you want to talk to them about. And so let's share it with the people you love. And then he goes past that and he shares it with all of Decapolis. He just goes around telling people about Jesus. What a great thing. And so consider the crowd, consider the man, and now consider the Savior. Jesus leaves a mob of thousands of Jews that are gathered together, ready to crown him as the king, willing to hear everything that he taught, right? loving the miracles that he's done, and his compassion takes him across the sea to the Gentile territory to meet with this man who is so enslaved by these demons. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. The man that day didn't know that he would meet Jesus. But before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew that that day he would meet that man. That's an amazing thing about Christ. He is the is sovereign king. And maybe today, Jesus planned for you to meet him. You didn't know that when you woke up, but he did. Jesus had orchestrated these events so harmoniously that he stepped off the boat and the man was there. He is still in the business of finding the least, the broken, the sick, the outcasts. And do you notice the final words that Jesus spoke to the man? He said, go and tell them of the great things that I've done for you and the love that I have for you. Jesus sends this man as the first missionary to the Gentiles. And he sends them and he says, the message to give to people is that Jesus can free you. He can heal you. He can, he can t- break your chains of bondage and he loves you. And that's the message for us today. Maybe this morning, you are the sinner that needs to be freed. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. And we don't like to believe that we need help. And that's unfortunate, because when we're there, we won't receive it. But if we'd be honest with ourselves, we have broken our own rules let alone God's rules. And we are sinners in need of saving, just like this man was. And so if that is you, come to him today. He did this for me 17 years ago. I was at a Christian camp, and I heard a message about the gospel, about what Christ has done for me, and I responded, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. You could do that today if you know yourself to be a sinner and you long for a Savior he will save you. I wish I could say that since that time my attitude has been the same as this man's. I kind of wonder how long his attitude was like that. Right? We get caught up in life and other things become more important and and maybe we just grow accustomed to the fact that Jesus has saved us. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we left this place today as a group of people ready, excited and willing to tell people about what Jesus has done for us? There is power in your personal testimony. And so as we consider this story, think about the crowd. Part of that crowd you want to be, what kind of person do you want to be when you come to Christ? Think about the man and the state he was in and how much sometimes we're like that. And then think about the Savior who offered complete freedom for free. Didn't, didn't require anything. He just healed the man. And know that we can come to that Savior as well. And then tell others about him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story this morning. We thank you for a story that is in many ways far removed from us and in another place, another time, another culture. And yet, there are so many truths that we can learn from human nature, from our response to God and the response that's recorded here. And Lord, I pray that if there is someone here today that finds themselves in the chains of sin, that is without a Savior to deliver them, that they would come to you today, that they would see Jesus on the cross and know that he died there naked on the cross so that he could clothe us and make us right and heal us. Lord, I pray that you would give courage and boldness and clarity and that people will respond to your gospel. And Lord, for those of us who know the gospel, who know this amazing Savior, Help us to be excited about him and to live for him and to share this amazing truth with others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.